it, it's begun. The Christmas season is upon us once more. Here we go. Uh, yet again, the countdown to Christmas uh, has begun, being the first Sunday of Advent. It's all about the waiting for the birth of the Christ child, the coming Christ, foretold by the prophets of old in the town of David in, in Bethlehem. Uh, the birth of a child uh, is perhaps an appropriate way to think of the second coming of Christ. Well, because the, the birth of a child, for those of you who are parents, will know that uh, a child comes when they're good and ready. In our case, as a matter of fact, our youngest, Ethan, was born pretty close to Christmas. His birthday is the 18th of December. He was actually due about a week earlier, but Ethan was working to his own time frame. And so, unfortunately for Ethan, perhaps more than any of us, his birthday is only a week before Christmas. We were ready to go. We were thinking Ethan would be, be here more like around about the 12th. Give us a couple of weeks as a family to have a birth of a child and then get Christmas. But Ethan just was operating on his own time frame. He wasn't going to come until he was good and ready. And indeed, when he was ready to come, he was coming whether or not we were ready or not. That is how the birth of a child works. And it's a little bit like the, the second coming of Christ as well, because Christ is coming whether we are ready or not, and he's coming according to his own time frame. So Advent is a time of preparation, it's a time of making ready. So this morning I do want to spend a bit of time talking about how we can be ready. What does it look like for a follower of Jesus in 2022, given that we've been waiting for 2,000 years already for Christ to come and to put things right here in this world? Uh, there's 300 verses that talk about this event. It is a significant part of the New Testament. About 1 in 13 verses of the New Testament allude to the second coming of Christ. We need to be aware of it. We need to be, know to be able to, how to read the seasons. And we need to be able to know what to simply just leave with God. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 24, towards the end of Matthew chapter 24. Uh, he talks about his coming earlier, but we'll pick the reading up from verse 36 and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there's a bunch of printed Bibles up the back there. If you don't have a Bible at home, you are more than welcome to come and see myself after the service. We'll give you a Bible. We've got a whole drawer full of Bibles, men's Bibles, women's Bibles, teenage Bibles. We'd love to make sure that everyone has a Bible in their home. If you haven't got a physical one, if you haven't got it on your iPhone this morning, you might want to look it up. I will be referencing the reading this morning, but there's some Bibles up the back. Matthew's Gospel is the first Gospel you'll find in your New Testament. It wasn't the first Gospel written. That probably belongs to Mark. Mark probably used, uh, Matthew probably used Mark in writing his Gospel. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. As Jesus is saying, but about that day, no hour, that day, that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Son of Man is Jesus' reference to himself. He calls himself the Son of Man or the, the human one, the one born from woman. Uh, two men uh, will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. 
Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away for a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help this morning to indeed be ready to keep watch. Father, when we look around our world, we see signs of the times when it is easy for us to think that your return is imminent, Father. We pray that you will help us to be wise in reading the signs of our times, wise in reading the seasons. And so too this morning, Father, we pray that you might open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds and our hearts. We pray that you might come alive to us through the pages of Scripture. We pray that you might feed us. We pray that you might inform us. We pray that you might correct us, rebuke us, encourage us, Father. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen, Amen. When you begin to talk about the end times, about the end of the world, Christians talk about the eschaton. If you want to impress your friends at the next dinner party, the study of the end times in Christian theology is called eschatology. That's but with an E-S-C-H, eschatology, from the Greek eschatos, meaning end or final. So eschatology is a study of the final things or of the last times, a very specific branch within Christian theology. It can be quite a controversial topic. You'll hear people using terms like premillennialism and postmillennialism. It's a reference to the thousand-year rule of Christ that the book of Revelation talks about. So you can be a premillennialist if you think he's coming before the thousand year. I think Christ, come, Christ will return uh, at, the, at the end of the thousand year reign. Personally speaking, I'm a bit of a, uh, I, have, I haven't got the foggy idealist. That's where I fit in. Uh, there's all sorts of different theories that you can have about when it might happen and when it might occur. The book of Revelation has all sorts of uh, very symbolic, very powerful imagery. If you'd like to know uh, more, I'd love to uh, work our way through Revelation, the Bible study uh, with members of our church. We're now in the phase of looking forward to 2023 and wondering how as a church are we going to be uh, growing as a church family, looking outward into our community. 
hey, why not uh, study the book of Revelation? If you want to know more and go into greater depth in the time we, brief time we have this morning, uh, we can dig into the book of Revelation. But I think there's really only, when it all boils down, church, I want us to be aware that there's a couple of things we can know for certain about Christ's second coming. The first is, is that Christ will return. He promised to return. Christ is indeed coming back. It is one of the most attested facts in the New Testament. Like I said, 300 verses, 1 in 13, uh, point to Christ's return. It is central, one of the central themes of the New Testament. So Christ will return, friends. That is the good news. This is something that we can look forward to, that Christ will return and put things right. Wipe every tear from the eye. He will make his enemies his footstool. The second thing that we can really know is that no one knows the day or the hour. If anyone tells you they know when Christ is going to return, they are kidding themselves and probably many others. We are told that we need to be aware of the seasons. We are told some signs of what we can expect beforehand. Earlier in this chapter, if you want to go back and have a look at it uh, later on this week, you'll see that Jesus does point towards things like famines and, and, and earthquakes and great persecution coming for the church, of rise, nation rising against nation. But about the day or the hour, he says, no one knows. He says, not even does Jesus know himself, only the Father. Other than those two facts, there's not really a lot that we can be terribly certain of. Christ will return, but nobody really knows when. Christ simply says to be ready, as we heard this morning, to be ready and to keep watch. We're called to be watchful and we're called to be, to be ready. I think a lot of our anxiety about the second coming, a lot of our anxiety about wanting to pin it down and know, uh, give, to give us a proper date. There's been many people down throughout history that have thought they've known a date. They've all proven to be wrong. The Jehovah's Witnesses are famous for it, by the way, always predicting a certain date only to be proven wrong and then try to say, well, I forgot to carry the two in our calculations only to be proven wrong again. I think that the motivation for a lot of people in needing to know the date is in fact fear and uncertainty. In the shifting sands of this life when, when things seem uncertain and fearful, we want to hang on to, hang on to something that we, can, that we can really know, we can, we can look forward to. But we're not given that sort of promise. We're not given a, a time or, or a date. We're simply told that we can look forward to Christ's return in his time. Look, the best little analogy that I've heard uh, for the church waiting for Christ's return to remain faithful in the meantime is the concept of, of mystery flights. I might have shared with you before about mystery flights. Do you remember mystery flights? They were big in the 80s, weren't they? I don't hear much about mystery flights these days. Do they still happen? Do they? You can still get to jump on a mystery flight, Sue? Okay. But back in the 80s growing up, mystery flights were big. The story was you would rock up at Sydney Airport and you didn't know where you were going. So the, air, the airlines would just fill up their empty seats on the flight to Townsville or Cairns. Did you ever go on one, Sue? Where'd you go? To Hobart. So you would rock up at the airport and then get told where you were going. <laughs> so you made your staff do it, Sue. So you made them turn up at Sydney Airport not knowing where they're about to spend the day. But they trusted you, didn't they, Sue? They trusted their fearless leader and they trusted the airline. 
They trusted that the ground crew had done their job. They trusted that the pilots were well trained, didn't they? They trusted that the plane was fully fueled. They trusted that the plane was maintained. And they trusted the airline to not drop them off in the middle of the Simpson Desert, right? And in fact, part of the fun of a mystery flight was not actually knowing the destination. Part of the fun of the mystery flight was not knowing what your immediate future held. But imagine how it would be if the mystery flight was not where your destination would be, but who was going to fly the plane. Imagine if Sue's staff turned up and Sue decided she was going to grab the controls from the pilot. Would they have jumped on the plane then, Sue? I don't think so. Friends, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Amen? That is what we as followers of Jesus look forward to. We don't know what the immediate future holds, but we know who holds the future in his hands. So this morning I want to give us a few little quick takeaways about how we can prepare, about how we can be ready for his, his second coming. Firstly, number one, uh, I've got four little takeaway points here. Number one, pursue Christ-likeness now. Pursue godliness in the here and the now. The best way to be ready for something is to act and to live as if it was a reality now. You'll note that in our reading this morning, Jesus references Noah and the flood. If you know the story of Noah and the flood, go back and read Genesis chapter 6 if you're not familiar with it. But the flood came because of a great wickedness that had spread upon the earth. We're told that it was a time of great corruption, of great violence. God was very sad at what his young creation at that point had become so quickly. And people were just going about their lives with no regard to God at all. They were simply doing their own thing, using and abusing their fellow man. And so God decided to, to send the flood as, as a purification, to purify the earth. Can I encourage you to make sure that you're ready for Christ's coming by making sure that you are pursuing godliness, Christ-likeness in your life. There's all sorts of fancy theological terms about this process of once we've accepted Jesus, the Lord of our life, once we've yielded our heart, once we've yielded our life and said, I am not my own king, you are my Lord, the process of then becoming sanctified or sanctification. We try to become ever more godlike in our words, in our deeds, in our, in, in, and in our being. Uh, if you're playing along at home, you might like to uh, have a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. John, a little tiny letter towards the very end of your Bible. Uh, 1 John 3, 3, talking about Christ's return. It says, all who have this hope, so everyone who has this hope of Christ's return, um, will purify themselves just as he was pure. The best way to be ready for Jesus Christ is to purify yourself, to make yourself as Christ-like as you can in this fallen, stained, and, and sinful world. So if there is something in your life that you know is not of Christ, if there is something in, in going on in your life at the moment that if he were to return this afternoon and, and, and found you doing, that you know you, you wouldn't be particularly proud of, can I encourage you to sort that out today? Can I encourage you to do some business with God today and fix it up to get it right, to pursue godliness, Christ-likeness, to pursue his good, godly, life-giving precepts in your life. If there's something that needs to go, cut it out. 
Get rid of it today. So pursue Christ-likeness now is the first way, I think, to be ready. We're not talking about simply waiting in a doctor's room, church. This is not just waiting around, sitting, twiddling our thumbs, marking time until Christ comes. This is an active waiting, an active watchfulness and readiness. Secondly, uh, the second one is good stewardship. So number one was pursue Christ-like now. The second one is to exhibit good stewardship. Good stewardship means caring well for the things, the gifts that God has given you in the here and the now. In the later part of our reading, verses 45, I think, to 51, Jesus contrasts two servants, doesn't he? A good servant and a wicked servant. The good servant is the one that feeds his fellow servants, that, that, that looks after those people around him. He says when his master returns, it will be good for that servant. He'll be put in charge of many things, given all of the master's possessions. But then he contrasts it with a wicked servant, a lazy servant, that says, ah, oh, the master's not returning for a long time. Yeah, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to party. Who starts beating his fellow employees. Who starts hanging out with, with drunkards. So he wasn't a wise steward. Can I encourage you to think, well, what have, what have I been given? What's my sphere of influence? What, what's my area of responsibility that, that is calling me to steward wisely? We've all got a sphere of influence. We've all got some level of influence in this world. And I don't just mean money. Sometimes when we talk about stewardship, our minds go straight to money. It certainly can be your money. Have a think about your bank account, about how you spend your money. But it's so much more than just money. It's about how you spend your time, how you spend your energy, where your mind goes to. Uh, what is your area? What is your sphere of influence in the, in the people around you? Can I encourage you to be like that wise steward who is caring for those around you, looking out for the needs of those around you? I saw this in action just this week, members of our church just this week, and not even in this church building, out there in the mall. People exhibiting godly stewardship, using what God has given them to care for those around them. All you need is a motor vehicle, and you can take someone across the road to Bondi Junction Medical Practice. I saw that happening a couple of times this week, members of this church. I won't embarrass them. You can probably guess who they are. Those members of this church that are always looking out for other people. You don't have to have heaps of energy, you don't have to have heaps of money, but there's something that you can do, that's God calling you to do with whatever he has given you to care for those around you, to care for his world in the here and the now. Number three is, is ready yourself for some suffering. Steal yourself for some suffering. We don't know the day or the hour, but we are told to be on the lookout for the seasons. And it's very clear in the early part of this chapter, if you go back and have a look, Jesus does tell us, before the coming of the Son of Man, that things will get pretty bleak. Things will get pretty rough. He talks about famines and earthquakes. He talks about nation rising against nation. He talks about false prophets arising and leading many people astray. He talks about many faith, people's faith growing cold. And he even talks about the faithful being put to death. Jesus was very clear with his followers to not expect Anything different from what he was about to expect on the cross. He was crucified. As followers of Jesus, we should expect some opposition. We should expect to suffer. Here in the Christianized West, it's been a pretty good run for the last couple of generations, but it is perhaps slowly 
changing. Now, I'm not the sort of person that thinks we're entering into a, a hellscape anytime soon, but I, I do think we need to be alert that yeah, there could be some suffering in our path at some point in, in the future. Can I encourage you to be ready for that if and when it comes in, in your life? We need to build some resilience into the church. Have you noticed that resilience is a bit of a buzzword in our schools? Our kids need to have, we build resilience into our kids. I think our church needs resilience. I don't mean our congregation. I mean the church in the West needs some resilience. I think we need to be prepared to cop a little bit of argy-bargy, be prepared to defend our faith when we need to. At the moment, I think the worldly culture is slowly starting to colonize the church and we treat the church like it's a buffet. I'll have a little bit of this, please, but as soon as it doesn't work for me, then I'm out of here. That's not the sort of dedication that Jesus is, is calling us to. Be prepared for a little bit of opposition. Let's be prepared for some suffering, prepared for a little bit of persecution. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ are used to this in other parts of the world. We know this, don't we? In other parts of the world, this is a daily reality for the church. We're very blessed here in Australia to have the freedom to worship that we do. The good news is in verse 13 of this chapter, go have a look at it. The good news is Jesus says, but those who hold firm will be saved. Isn't that good news? We can hold firm, we will indeed be saved. We'll be saved from sin and ultimately from death. Not necessarily an earthly, a fleshly death. There were more martyrs for the Christian faith in the 20th century than the previous 19 combined, they reckon. Difficult days to be a follower of Jesus in many parts of the world still today. Let's make sure that we are steeling ourselves for some, for some persecution. So, pursue Christ-likeness now. Be good stewards of what God's given you. Steel yourself for some suffering. And finally, let's have a missional urgency. A bit of a, a bit of missional urgency about how we're spending our time. Being a follower of Jesus should rearrange our priorities. It should set us apart. Our life should be a little bit different from our neighbours around us. Can I encourage you to not spend your da days trying to pursue your latest hobby? Now, I just got myself a new hobby. A number of you already know, because I've been a pickleball evangelist for a couple of weeks now. I've got nothing against getting a new hobby. But I really hope, come and ask me about pickleball if you don't know what it is, one of the world's fastest growing sports, but I really hope that I'm not known as Pete the pickleball guy. I want to be known as Pete the Jesus guy. Good to have a hobby. Good to be getting the upholstery out, get the stains out of your upholstery. It's good to be going on holidays. It's good to be acquiring the possessions you need to live well. Jesus isn't against any of that good stuff. God is a good God. He wants to bless you with all of those things. But please don't arrange your life around the mundane, minutiae things of, of this world, of hobbies and holidays and all of your possessions and whatever it is you're trying to get out of your upholstery at the moment. Invest in some missional urgency, locally and globally. Look, personally speaking, this is why I'm committed to visiting India once again in, in January. We're going to India. You know, I realized a few years ago that I didn't want to waste my life. 
I wanted to actually make a difference. One of the best ways I could do that globally was to, to head over to Light Home in India once a year, even when airfares are like they are now. Have you seen those guys? We're taking a team to Light Home in India, despite the cost of the airfare, to let those kids know that they are loved, that they are valued. It's how I choose to invest my life and spend my life, even though India is not the sort of country that I would normally have chosen to go. Visiting India can be rough at times. The pollution is out of control. You'd be lucky to see across down to the end of Newland Street in Delhi. The smog is thick in the air and you're breathing it in. In many parts of that country, there's a stench that no Aussie has ever become aware of. It's, it's a difficult and it's a rough place. However, my family and many others have decided that there's a missional urgency here and we're going to invest our time and our energy and our money into it. We're going to strike a blow for God's kingdom. That Whatever Aussie dollars God has chosen to bless us with, we're going to spend a chunk of them letting these kids know at Light Home in India, the poorest of the poor in the world just about, knowing that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they're not ranked lower than the animals, that they are loved and they have a team around them who are praying for them and will be visiting them again next year. You don't have to visit India. You can be, as I say, helping people across to Bondi Junction Medical Centre. You can help out locally wherever you are. So there they are. They're my four takeaways for this morning, church. How to be ready, how to keep watchful for the second coming. Pursue Christ-likeness in your own life now. Pursue holiness. Exhibit good stewardship with whatever God has given you. Steal yourself for some coming suffering, perhaps. And have a missional urgency about how you spend your days, your weeks and your years. None of this is going to be easy unless you've surrendered your heart, yielded your heart. If you're doing all of this out of a sense of obligation, you're never going to be able to make it. You won't go the distance. It's, it's got to come from your heart. It's got to come from within. Otherwise, frankly, visiting India all gets too hard and, and to be honest, too expensive at times. Can I encourage you to make sure that Jesus is indeed on the co- in the cockpit of your life on this great mystery flight known as your life? I want to leave you with... Uh, an illustration from the times of Sir Ernest Shackleton, one of the great Antarctic explorers, about being ready even in times when the boss gets delayed. During one of his expeditions to the Antarctic, Sir Ernest Shackleton, one of the great explorers, left some of his men on Elephant Island. He did this obviously with the intent of returning to get them, to take them home to Mother England as soon as he could. But he was delayed. By the time he went back to get them, the sea ice, the pack ice, had closed in. For days he tried to break in through the ice, but each day was turned, he was turned back, prevented him from reaching his men. Finally, on his fourth attempt, he broke through, he found a passageway, found a narrow channel and navigated his way back and found his men. Much to his surprise, he found his crewmen waiting for them, supplies packed, ready to board. They were very soon on their way back to merry old England. And he asked them how they knew to be ready for him. 
They told him. They did not know when he would return, but they were sure that he would. So every morning, the little group's leader, that little band of men, rolled up his bag, packed his gear and told his men to do the same. Get your things ready, boys. The boss may come today. Friends, given that the wait of we saints has already been for 2,000 years, it seems to me that the best course of action is to plan for a voyage of another 1,000, but each day be ready to board the ship. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help in being ready, to be watchful, to be expectant for Christ's return. So this Christmas, Father, may we prepare not simply for the coming of the Christ child, but may we prepare for the cosmic Christ, the coming King, breaking in through the crowds with his angels in trail, his robes dipped in blood, ready to make the enemy, his enemies the, his footstool, ready to wipe every tear from the eye, to put things right. We look forward to that day, Father. We long for that day. We strain forward to that day. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to pursue Christ-likeness. Help us to be good stewards of what you've blessed us with in the meantime. May we be ready for some suffering and some opposition. And we pray that you might give us a missional urgency, both locally and globally, that the good news of Jesus Christ, the abundant, life-giving, life-to-the-full resurrection life, in this life and the next, that is freely available to all, might be proclaimed to the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.